G'day, 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 and welcome to another podcast of Gatesy's Bible study on, sorry, Gatesy's study on Bible topics. Heck, I should know that one here. That's all right. So we finished up our last podcast going through the genealogy a little bit, understanding that a bit better, and where generations fell in line with each other, and learning about the Nephilim. And understanding through the the base words that it really does start to talk about these actual angels that came down from heaven, were attracted to daughters of men, had children. These children were giants. When God saw this, his angels leave and come to earth, he put a curse and reduced the time frame that we could live. And after that, that they continuously lived in evil, that's when God was strongly grieved and sorry that he had made man on the earth in verse 6 of chapter 6. So we will continue from verse 7 now. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. What does it say? uh, In the King James it says, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. So repenteth, hang on, I may not have clicked on the right one. Repenteth is 5,162 in the Strongs. Oh, it is correct. Uh, so <laughs> the, the primary word, so Norcom is the pronunciation of it, uh, sigh or breathe strongly implication of being sorry. <sighs> so I just imagine we have a little daughter and she's not old enough to know that she's in trouble or anything yet and willing to admit she's wrong. I know I definitely do it when I don't want to admit I'm wrong. I let out a big sigh, meaning I'm sorry, but I don't want to say it. So if you think of that, knowing that he's sorry, but he doesn't want to actually admit, sorry, not admit, but to, to say that, it's quite interesting. So he repenteth, but the repenteth that this means is actually letting out a sigh of... Uh, how would you word that? Letting out a sigh of I guess looking at it not willing to admit that this creation that he had made good had fallen and become sinful. And the angels decided to jump on board and join this and make it even worse to the point that he's like, I'm actually just going to remove everybody. And because of what man fell into, he's decided to wipe out all of creation, all the animals, all the birds, all the, the only thing that's going to survive is the fish. It's pretty interesting that because of man and remember in, 
Genesis uh, 2 and 3, that man has been given authority to rule over the animals, the birds, the creepy things, the fish of the sea, and the cattle, which is cows, sheep, goats, camels, all those sort of things. Because man has been given authority over them, they also receive punishment because of the man. And now we look at what happened to Adam and Eve. Nothing happened when Eve took the fruit. But when the authority took it, then they both received the same punishment by realizing that they were naked and they were shameful of their nakedness. So it's such a significant thing that when the authority of the as the head, when they take authority over things, even subconsciously, not realizing they're doing it, things take hold. And so because of man's authority over the earth, what he does judgment gets passed on to everything within his authority. Okay, so completely wiping out everything on earth because of us. And so I hope that starts to signify how much importance there is in this authority that God has given us to rule over the earth. And so for us to decree and declare God's will, however it is to look, be done on earth. And the only way we know what God's will is to be is to us to actually spend time in prayer and supplication to him to find out, God, we want your will to be done. My will needs to be your will. And so I'm going to spend time with you to reveal your will to me. And when I know what your will is, I'm going to jump on board and I'm going to walk that out. And that's when... God's really going to take hold of his people and show his power on earth. And we need to be standing with that 100%. As we really do not want to be not a part of this for when God really starts to move and the tribulation comes and all these things, it will determine who isn't a wheat and who is a weed. Because weeds hide within the wheat. Ooh, sorry. Same as goats hide within the sheep. But they do not recognize the Lord's voice. They act like they're part of the crew. But when the Lord speaks, they do not respond. Okay. So because of man, everything gets judged. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So what have we got? What does it say in here? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So that's the King James uh, chapter, oh, sorry, verse 8. Uh, graciousness, kindness, favor, beauty, pleasant, precious, yeah, favored. So because this is not the Greek word for it because the greek word depicts this someone doesn't have anything and they need something and then you have someone that has more than enough and they're willing to give it but they don't grace equates to the broker in the middle who pays for the the thing that the person that is lacking needs in full and then they're the ones that give it freely to the person that needs it. That is the depiction of Christ on the cross 
And that is actually what the Greek word for grace means. Someone that has nothing, someone that has more than enough, abundantly enough, that can give to the person that has nothing, but there's a broker in the middle that pays for it completely and gives it freely. Grace is the middleman. Okay? That's actually not the depiction here. Found kindness. He was, the Lord was pleased with what he saw in the, in Seth's bloodline, in a, in uh, Noah. So to verse nine, these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. So righteous man, the word righteous means right standing with God. So if you're right standing with somebody, you believe what they say. And if you believe what they say, you agree with it and you act in accordance to that exactly the same as they would. So they're doing their thing. You believe and agree with that. And so you do the exact same thing. All of a sudden you're standing side by side doing the right thing. You're not on equal terms with them, but if you're right standing with them, you are going with them side by side, following through what they want to do or what they are doing and that makes you right standing okay so noah was right standing with god he was a he was blameless in his time so for him to be blameless let's look this up so what are we in we are in verse perfect in his generation is also the word so 8552 So without blemish, he was complete, perfect. He was sincerely sound, uh, without spot, undefiled. He was upright, integrity. He was integral in truth, without blemish. Okay. So for a man to, not to say that he was sinless, but God did not find fault with him in comparison to the rest of the world. All right. So if he was blameless, he wasn't doing what the rest of the world was doing. He was remaining with God because Noah walked with God. And that is very much thank, thanks to his bloodline passed down with Enoch being, spending so much time with God, Methuselah, Lamech, and then himself, that it was a special thing that he walked with God and it was only his bloodline that did so. It doesn't even say that his siblings walked with God, but God had ordained certain man out of a certain bloodline to follow through with God's plan. Okay. It's a very special thing. Where are we? So Noah walked with God, verse 10. And Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. So from a, where are we? If we quickly duck back. Da, 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 da. Back to verse 5. Saw that the wickedness and that every intent of thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. So is proof that evil full stop is encompassed with violence. 
corruption there is that if they are if everything like this is embedded and impregnated in them to have no other thoughts violence is a natural occurrence to them and so a state without god is so deprived that there is no conscious moral mindset that all these things so yeah i may have actually lost a few words because my phone just fell on the space bar and stopped the whole recording i'm not actually sure exactly where we were that's all right so we're talking about the corruption within the flesh that a natural occurrence of being completely corrupt and filled with evil thoughts and desires is violence that there is no conviction of a good moral state so with god not intervening whatsoever to this these generations that there is no moral conscience whatsoever and so we talk about moral conscience that us as believers say that it is of god everyone else says that is something that naturally grew this is proof that that could not possibly happen without god there can be no moral goodness okay and god looked on the earth in verse 12 and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth so all flesh let's have a look at this one three two zero Okay, so that's the same word that we talk about with our sinful flesh uh, after the Nephilim came onto earth. So purely meaning flesh. And, the, and God looked on the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. So every single being had corrupted. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. So, then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. That is an interesting state for him to say to come before. So 13, uh, 6440, plural, but always used as a singular of an unused noun. Poor name is the word. The face as part that turns, used in a great variety of applications, literally and figuratively. Prepositional prefix. So that's what it is. Um, countenance, edge, employ, endure, inquire, fear, forefront, form, ward, heaviness, honourable, impotent. Um, oh, okay. So, okay. So, it's talking about the face. So, if you look at it, we say. Uh, the end of all flesh has come before me. So the face of all flesh is standing before me. Okay. 
So, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. So the end of all flesh is standing before me, is what God's saying. In implying, what's this, what's this implying? God said to Noah, the end of all flesh is before me. Is that instigating that Noah is the end of all flesh? Because Noah's here, the flood can happen. And because Noah's to survive the flood, because he's there, all flesh will come to an end. That's what it could be implying. That because of Noah, all flesh will be finished. So, oh, sorry, I was just sneakily trying to talk to my wife. Um, where were we? So the flesh has come before me. So Noah is the end of all flesh because Noah is there. The flood will happen and then everything will be wiped out because of him. And because God is talking to Noah. Okay. For the flesh is filled with violence because of them, because of all flesh. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. So it's interesting to say with the earth because everything was made on the earth. The earth was void beforehand and the spirit of God hovered it. And the earth became the earth when everything was made on it. So God will destroy everything on the earth, which is classed as the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover inside and out with pitch, which is uh, another word for tar, which helps. Well, it makes the wood waterproof and actually allows the wood to last a very, 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 very long time because termites can't get in. Uh, Wood, water can't get in, so the weather does not deteriorate the timber. So for them to have found the ark in Turkey, there is a high probability that that is true. So here we go. We're going with the measurements now. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. For its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. So cubits translated is 137 meters long. 22.8 meters high and 13.7 meters wide. Okay. So that is the dimensions of the ark. There is no way that the ark would hold two of every single type of animal there is, every breed, anything like that. So there has to be a different scenario that's going to be taking place. All right. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top, so half a meter from the top, and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. So there's three floors to this boat. So if you go 13.7, even if the very bottom of the hull did not uh, get used and there was a floor made above it, even if you said, so that's, you could say four meters from the base of the hull to the bottom of the first floor, and then four divided by 
sorry, 10 divided by 3. Oh, don't put me on the spot like that. What is that? I shouldn't know that far yet. Sorry, guys, that's terrible. I've never been that good with maths. So even if each floor roughly equates to 3.3 metres, thereabouts, one floor may have to be different to allow giraffes unless they were baby giraffes and then it would make sense. If they were all of a juvenile animal, so juvenile elephants, juvenile giraffes, juvenile uh, lions, all these sort of things, the arc does not have to be very big to be able to do that. Um, so we've got the height and everything. You can only make one window half a meter from the top. So if each floor is 3.3 meters or whatever, there is no way a man can see through that window, can he? But that is the one escape for the birds to determine when they can return to the land. So them looking up through the window, up, looking towards the sky, looking towards God, that's the only thing that they can do. They can only look up and trust him in everything, that he will do what he said he did by wiping out everything, that he will protect them in it all, and in doing so that they have to become fully reliant on him. So God's stipulating that they have to trust him in everything and the only option they can do is looking up at him. That's pretty cool how God even put that in there. Um, and behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life from under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. It's only commas there. There's no full stops. It makes it a bit of a mouthful. And behold, I, even I am bringing, okay, let's look at it in the King James. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood. Uh, okay. So the word I here is actually not God calling himself God. But as for me, as for myself, as for we, even we are bringing the flood of water upon the earth. So for God to say that he, for people to say that God brings nothing but good things, this is a judgment that passes and God said, yes, even I will bring this flood and wipe out the earth. You may think that I've always supplied for you, but even though I supply for you, me as a righteous God, even I will bring this flood upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Even I, only I am able to do this thing. And I'll display, so this is not, this is me just still breaking it down. So I am going to display my power through my wrath in this very moment so that you know that I am the only God. Okay? That is a very strong statement. And we've been with a, a young lad's Bible study. We've actually been going through the middle of Romans, and we were going through Romans 9 and a section in Romans 
uh, 10, it talks about the uh, God displaying his power through his wrath, but he patiently withheld it, displaying mercy to the people rather than displaying his wrath. But his wrath was eminent, ready to go, and that would display his power. But because he withheld, he revealed his glory through mercy rather than his power through destruction. So it's pretty incredible. And for God to say that you will, in seeing in this moment, he is going to display his power through his wrath so that Moses, I mean, sorry, so that Noah cannot deny that God is God. Okay? So this is a pretty strong depiction of a nature nature characteristic of God that when man is so deprived of God and is in such a, a sin, sorry, depraved, is in such a sinful state, God says enough is enough. And through revelations that portrays that as well, that there will become a time that God cannot wait eternity to just bring in a few people here and there into the kingdom of God. He goes, nah, now is the time that sin will no longer exist full stop for the remaining of eternity. And so I am drawing a line in the sand and I am passing my judgment. They've had more than enough time to know what is of me and what isn't of me and to follow me or not. And so in this very moment, I am going to display my power through my wrath by passing a righteous, sorry, passing a righteous judgment on all mankind because I am righteous. And God being God has every right to do that of saying, okay, recess is over. Now it's time for the test or however you want to look at it. So that is pretty incredible. So I'm going to be bringing the flood, verse 17, to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life, in which God has breathed life into. So God is taking his very own breath from them for they no sorry for they no longer deserve God's giving life so he's been holding he's been showing mercy which is so mercy is deserved punishment withheld okay so he's been showing mercy this entire time by allowing them to have the breath of life in them and now he's going okay Enough is enough. No more. I'm going to start afresh. And part of it, when we keep going, I'll show you in a minute. Let's just continue so I don't have to ramble. Otherwise, I get too sidetracked. So I'm going to remove all of my breath of life from everything under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish that is a absolute right there um but i will establish my covenant with you so let's quickly look oh excuse me da, 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 da. my covenant which is uh concordance one two eight five so berith in the sense of cutting a compact because made by passing between 
pieces of flesh, confederacy, covenant league. Okay, I am confused with that. Let's do a quick Google search. We'll So it's an agreement, uh, agree by lease, deed, or other legal contract. In the sense, this really, so the definition, in the sense of cutting, as in a knife passing between pieces of flesh. That's really interesting. Okay. I'm just starting to get my head around that. So a covenant is like a knife. So imagine this, so a knife cutting between through flesh and making it into two separate things that there is no repair afterwards. It is a clean cut and it's completely separated. What was once one thing has now been made two so i'm now looking at covenant a covenant is made between two people that is so if you cut a cow straight down the spine so sorry at the butchers and you cut it straight down the middle it is the same it is a mirror image on both sides so each person gets one half right Yeah, wow. A covenant is equal terms between the two parties. So it is an equal promise from God to Noah as it is from Noah to receive it to God. There you go. I've never actually seen that before. So a covenant is like, is the sense of a knife cutting and passing between pieces of flesh. That once a knife cuts through, there is no putting it back together. There is no undoing what has been done. Ah, okay. There we go. So a covenant cannot be undone in this as what's been portrayed here. Once it is separated into two, it is in two. It is for one piece is for God at all times and one piece is for Noah and for his family at all times. So it talks about uh, Jesus making the new covenant. It's not to say that the old one is destroyed, but the structure of that covenant has changed. For So for a covenant to no longer be, one of the parties has to die. Because once they're dead, they no longer have their half of the covenant. Okay. So for Jesus, when he died, as Jesus being divine, he is 
God, but he is also man. So Jesus as a human being slash as God is both parts of the covenant dying. He is he removed the old covenant all in himself, taking both halves of it because the knife has cut the two. He is now removed entirely the old covenant. This is amazing. I'm only just getting this as well now. And he's set up a new covenant. So both being God and flesh, he took the old covenant entirely on himself and removed it. What was the old covenant then? Blood sacrifice had to be made so man could remain righteous with God, that he could stay connected to him. Far out. That is amazing. I have never looked into or thought of that until this point, and that fills me with excitement, and I hope it does with you too. And I hope you understand that. I hope you're getting the picture of what I'm explaining and receiving in my mind right now. Thank you, Lord. All right. So now we'll go to verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Okay, so kind is not every breed, all right? So if you have a dog, you have thousands of breeds, but a dog is one kind of an animal. Same as cats, same as chooks, same as cows, everything else other than... So you've got like subspecies, so you've got... So felines and then every breed or every kind of cat is a subspecies of that primary feline. So a lion is a lion. You've got different species of lion or yeah, different breeds of lion, but a lion is still the kind, even though it might be a feline in its subcategory. And so for the ark not being really that big, all of this makes more sense. And especially if you're having juvenile ones, it's a lot easier to have them in a pen and raise young ones if the ark is not actually that big. And if you've got two elephants, two giraffes, two lions, two tigers, two crocodiles, or either either. So whether it's a crocodile, alligator, a kynan, however, that breed of reptile, uh, you've got like a, whether it's a Komodo dragon for your goanna style lizards or whatever, they're all derived from a single kind and everything after that becomes selective breeding. So all dogs, like they talk about a purebred, that's just purely selective breeding. I like that character trait, so I'm going to breed that into my animals by choice. And so that genetic is going to be passed on. And so that's how we have all these different kinds. And if you look up even dog breeds 100 years ago, what they look like then to what they look like now is actually vastly, vastly different for a lot of them. Um, it's pretty incredible, actually. What's it's incredible, but it's sad as well that they've selected certain traits that they go, we're going to go with that, and yet it's actually made the animals' lives not very enjoyable because they have to have constant care for them to actually live properly sort of thing. So, all right, so we've got smaller animals and of every kind. It makes it so much easier to fit on the boat. And to keep them alive with you, they shall be male and female. Verse 20, of the birds 
after their kind and of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind shall come to you to keep them alive. So wild beast, cattle, birds, and insects of every sort. Um, and as for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible and gather it to yourself and it shall be for food for you and for them. So take bits of every kind of food that we have so that all the animals will be able to survive because they're going to be on there for a while. Um, thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. And I really love command here. Command is an absolute provided you choose to follow it. So this commandment that God gave to Noah, Noah carried it out through his own will and thus made it an absolute. Adam and Eve did not. When God commanded that they could eat from any tree except for this one, that is a commandment. If it was, and by their own free will, they chose, and he knew they always would, but he still did what he did because he wanted to portray his love and to still have that relationship with this creation that he made, that he commanded them and by their own free will, they disobeyed this commandment. If a commandment was absolute, it would be physically binding. So if God commanded them that they could not eat from the tree of good and evil, they physically would not have been able to eat from it. If a command was absolute, and physically binding. So a command is a command and absolute when you carry it out by your own free will. So this is pretty incredible. So for Noah, by his own free will, carried out God's commandment, made it absolute. Uh, all right, and then on to chapter 7. Here we go. So we'll pull it up there. This one's a bit been a bit longer because, yeah, I accidentally hit the stop recording button with the space bar, which I didn't know was possible. Um, so I'll stitch these together. So we will pull up there and I hope you've learned some, a little bit of something out of this and been able to see more of God's character in who he is and actually what he's capable of. And when we understand and realize what he's capable of, it should bring us into a position of being even more humble and more willing to serve him for we know the consequences if we don't. And it's portrayed all through the Bible for those that do not follow God's commandments and fall away from him. If we're completely separated from God, there is only a just wrath that is given to us or passed on to us and ultimately leads that leads us to hell. And that is a, a very sobering thought, isn't it? So, yeah, I just hope that we've all been able to learn something today. I know I definitely had with a covenant that filled me with excitement when I started to break that down. And that's how I do stuff. I, I talk it out like that and I depict a picture and I start to ask questions and I start to lay that question out differently until in my mind it becomes evident and 
tends to happen that when that becomes evident in that way, all of a sudden the spirit of God fills me with peace and this sensation. And I go, Oh, okay. So this is, this is what you're trying to show me God. And I absolutely love it. And I love that in through his spirit, he reveals all truth. And when he does that for us, we could call that discernment. And so for me to discern the scripture, when I'm breaking it down, I then knew for me, that's what God was showing. God may have shown you something completely different and that's perfectly fine. But yeah, so I just pray that you're able to get something out of it. And I pray that you look forward to the the next time we come together and start laying stuff out and go, God, let's really get into this and find out more and more about you and what you have installed for us, instilled in us and installed for our path ahead. So, Lord God, we just give you all the praise and the glory for you truly deserve it, that your word is such a beautiful writing, Lord God, because you wrote it. And, Lord, we just pray that, yeah, as we continue to live our lives for you, Lord, we just ask for more revelation of you. For every time we receive revelation, it makes us more excited to follow you. It brings us to a closer understanding to you, which develops our relationship with you, Lord. And we just give you all the praise and the glory for you and you alone truly deserve it. In your son's mighty and precious name. Amen.